It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 67 of the Night Talker. At 1045, where are we at in society? Wimbledon has a fornication problem. At 10.15, it's the start of a two-segment chat with comedian Gary Owen, ahead of his shows at Cap City Comedy Club this weekend. And coming up in this segment, the Big 12 media shows Texas quite a bit of love. And Jay Monahan's true colors and ego were on display in a secret memo that was made public last weekend. Great weekend for News Dump, by the way, the four-day July 4th weekend. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can follow me on Twitter at Courtesy Wave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Yesterday, we gave you the Big 12's preseason first team football squad as voted on by the media. That did include offensive, defensive, and newcomers of the year in the conference. Texas had Jalen Ford as the Defensive Player of the Year after he was, let's be honest, stiffed from the actual award at the end of the 2022 season. And then they ended up with five guys on that preseason first team. Three guys on offense, two guys on defense. Ford, of course, one of the two guys on defense to go along with Byron Murphy. Those offensive players were Xavier Worthy. You also had Jatavian Sanders, a tight end, and then the freshman All-American Kelvin Banks entering his sophomore season. Well, today, we found out from Big 12 Media just what they think about the teams in this conference as it pertains to ranking them 1 through 14. Remember, four new Teams in the Big 12 this year. The Big 12 was at 10, now they're at 14. Just ignore the 12 part of that equation, okay? That's just a brand at this point, more than an accurate description of the number of teams in this conference. At least for another year, unless the Big 12 decides to expand once again and add, I don't know, SMU, San Diego State, Boise State, Gonzaga, UConn, Memphis. Who else has been rumored at this point? Is USF on there somewhere? South Florida? They're trying to pull Rice into the conference? UTSA maybe? The fun never stops with the Big 12. But as far as what the media thinks of teams in this year's version of their conference, Texas Longhorns, a lot of people believe that this could be the they are truly back year, but a lot of us, myself included, are still in wait and see mode, even though there is a slight bit of optimism that I am having a hard time admitting. But people believe that Texas is one of the three or four best teams in the conference. And the media... Not only do they agree with that, they agree in spades. Because amongst the 63 media members who voted in this poll, Texas received 41 first place votes as the top team in the conference. That's right. Big 12 Media believes Texas is the best team in this conference. They garnered 886 overall points, which is... 28 more than the team with the second most, that being Kansas State. Oklahoma finds itself at number three. By the way, Kansas State received 14 first-place votes. Oklahoma and Texas Tech each received four first-place votes, with Oklahoma edging Texas Tech out in total points. 
according to Big 12 Media, as the third best team in this conference. The Sooners are a fascinating case study heading into the season because nobody knows what to do with them. We are all so conditioned. We have that Pavlovian response in the preseason to just put them near the top of the Big 12, but last year showed they don't necessarily deserve that billing going forward. Now, they've done a good job of reloading. They do bring some key players back, but is Brent Venables head coach material? At least as it pertains to this conference, media folks believe so. They're still choosing to rely on the fact that Oklahoma has been one of the best, if not the best team in the conference more years than not going back to the turn of the century. Texas Tech at number four, not a huge surprise. Growing expectations in Lubbock with Joey McGuire and staff not only showing that they know how to coach their team up in last year's campaign, but continuing to just kill it in the offseason. That means on the recruiting trail, too. Got to give it up to them for that. Fifth team, according to the media, TCU. See, this is where I depart from the media. I probably depart from them on Oklahoma as well. I think I end up with Oklahoma at, let's call them six. And I have TCU in the bottom third of the conference. I have them at 10 or 11 this year. I think they plummet back to earth, much like what we saw with Baylor last season, coming off of a very successful 2021 campaign. But the media has TCU as the fifth best team in the conference. Baylor at six. Oklahoma State at seven. UCF at eight. Kansas at nine. Iowa State at 10. BYU at 11. With Houston, Cincinnati, and West Virginia in last place. West Virginia, the Mountaineers, rather, in last place. But Houston, Cincinnati, and West Virginia, the bottom three teams in the conference, according to media. By the way, Oklahoma State did receive one first-place vote. Kudos to the reporter in Stillwater for giving them that one vote, I'm assuming. Don't know that for sure, but come on. And then TCU gets three first-place votes. I would love to see TCU not plummet back to earth this year, but... Come on, they played way over their heads in 2022. And look, it ends with a national championship game appearance, which is really cool for that program and and their fan base. But they had a lot go right for them, and they lost a lot of talent, especially on the offensive side of the ball, which was the sterling side of the football for them last year. The defense had its moments. They were very opportunistic, but it was a perfect storm for TCU to make it to that Big 12 championship game, and then win the semifinal matchup against Michigan and get their asses kicked in the national championship game after that by Georgia. But there you have it, Longhorn fans. Texas. Is it pressure? I don't know. It's just media votes. We have to take everything that we see in the preseason with a very large grain of salt. Good and bad, by the way. You don't want the perceived success to go to your head because you haven't played a single snap just yet. And don't get too down on yourself if you're receiving hate one way or the other. Like if I'm, I don't know, Kansas on down, Kansas, Iowa State, BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, West Virginia, maybe even throw UCF in there. Like you're looked at as the bottom of the conference. That should be a great motivator for you. Add to that chip on your shoulder. 
It's like what we talked about with the Longhorns who weren't given preseason first team nods yesterday, specifically some secondary guys who it feels like they deserve it. I would throw Christian Jones into that mix too. I think Christian Jones is in line for a really good year for Texas. And maybe he's a second team right tackle. We'll see. But every bit of hate should be used as motivation to help you achieve your best for this upcoming season. And for Texas, look, you're the Longhorns. You're always going to be dealing with at least a little bit of pressure. You are everybody's rival in this conference, even if you only consider a handful to be actual rivals in return. And your coach has been speaking confidently all offseason about how he feels about this roster, this team, and the overall direction of the program. Year one to year two for Steve Sarkeesian was an improvement. And while... Improvement isn't always linear. It feels like it needs to be in year three for him. Like nine regular season wins is not a stretch. As a matter of fact, that does kind of feel like the low bar for me right now. Obviously, taking into consideration like some sort of circumstance that's out of your control, like a rash of injuries or something like that, but it's time for Texas to make it happen. All right, we don't have time for that Jay Monahan memo, so I will have to get to that at some point in the near future. Coming up, it is a conversation with another stand-up comedian, this time the very funny Gary Owen, ahead of his shows at Cap City Comedy Club this weekend. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Gary Owen is a stand-up comedian who has been making audiences laugh for more than 25 years. And he's going to be here in Austin this weekend doing much of the same at Cap City Comedy Club in the Domain. Tickets for two shows on Friday, two shows on Saturday, and a show on Sunday can be had at CapCityComedy.com. Gary, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, man, and uh, certainly looking forward to talking about you coming to Austin and Cap City Comedy Club this weekend. I don't want to bury the lead, though, because you are a Cincinnati guy. Just how exciting is it to be an Ellie De La Cruz and Cincinnati Reds fan right now? I mean, MLS, we're in first. Uh, the Reds are in first. Bengals just finished off another great season. It's, it's good to be in Cincinnati right now, be a Cincinnati fan. Wait, did you start that statement with bragging about your MLS team being in first place? I mean, come on, man. It's only <laughs> so, been around three years. So are you a bigger soccer guy than you are a baseball guy then? I don't know one person on that team. I just know they're in first. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Well, Ellie De La Cruz is obviously one of the most exciting players in baseball right now. I mean, the guy's been in the majors for a month, and he's already got just a slew of highlight plays. And I loved what happened last night where uh, the uh, the other team, I think it was the Nationals or something, they asked to check his bat. They do. They don't find anything wrong with it. And then he hits a jack a pitch or two later, and he looks back to the opposing dugout and points at his bat. And then the, the freaking manager's mad about that afterwards. It's like, dude, what did you expect? You set yourself up for that ridiculousness you ain't lying and it was like a upper deck 
But when is the longest home run of the season? 455 foot bomb. I don't know if that's the longest or not, but yeah, it was uh, it was way out there, man. He's so good. It's 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 crazy. Like one player energized just that whole city because as soon as they got there, they they beat the Dodgers and then they just go on that 12 game run and then you know the only team hotter than them is the Braves and it was you know that was a great three game series and every. Every game this year with the Braves has been a one-run game. Is that right? Yep. Every game's been one run. Hmm. I don't know how big of a football fan you are, but man, I, I don't I don't necessarily find myself attracted to Cincinnati sports necessarily one way or the other, but I am attracted to fun football teams. And that team with, uh, with Jamar Chase, obviously, and Joe Burrow, and just some of the fun players on defense, that has been an easy team to root for these last few years. And, of course, them being as successful as they have been uh, only helps that cause. Well, there's only one position that can turn an organization around, that's the quarterback. It's not going to be a running back. It's not going to be a wide receiver. You've seen it, like, before Manning got to the Colts, before Brady got to the Patriots, before Breeze got to the Saints. Those were not the Patriots much, but the Colts and Saints were, they were the, la- they were the Bengals. They were laughing stocks kind. Nobody took them serious. And you get the right quarterback in there, it just changes everything. Free agents want to come there. I mean, look at it. Herb Smith came. He had offers from like three other teams. And he yeah. literally said, I want to play with Burrow. Yeah. I'm coming here to play with Burrow. Yeah, that franchise, you know, they've had some successes here and there. They obviously made the Super Bowl in the mid-1980s, but they've always had likable running backs. Like Icky Woods going back to the early 90s. Like, I was a big Corey Dillon fan. It was a little bit surprising to me not to see him chirping about the organization and uh, just whatever the the uh, the red tape that somebody has to cut through to get into their ring of honor. It was the fact that Corey Dillon's not already in you guys' ring of honor, man. He's one of the best players to ever play for that franchise. Yeah, he's one of those borderline uh, Hall of Fame guys. You know, the Bengals, they've only got one one real Hall of Famer, Munoz. I mean, obviously, T.O. went in and Charlie Joyner went in. They played for the Bengals, but only for a year. But uh, as far as, like, most of their career where they did their heavy lifting, I mean, that was – it wasn't with the Patriots. It was with the Bengals. Yeah. So, uh, he'll get in. He'll get in. I'm not worried about it. I know it sucks right now, but he'll get in. All right, we talked enough sports. Let's talk a little stand-up comedy now because I've known about you for a long time. Best I can tell from your Wikipedia page, which obviously you have to take with a large grain of salt. You've been at the stand-up game since, what, the mid-1990s? 97. 97, yeah. Mid to late. Yeah. What What got you on stage for the very first time? It's like, you know, I grew up in a trailer park in, in Ohio, small town, and I was like, I always knew I wanted to be a stand-up, but I didn't know how. And then, so I joined the Navy after high school, and again, I think I'm lying, but the whole plan was if I can get to California, I can start doing stand-up. I didn't know you could start doing stand-up in any city you live in. I thought you had to start in L.A. <laughs> and I also thought the whole state of California was L.A. because <laughs> David Lee Roth had the video, I wish y'all could beat California girls. And I was like, it must be the whole state. I didn't know there was a Fresno or a Bakersfield <laughs> or, or an Oakland. I was like, oh, there's different cities. So I get stationed in San Diego, and right off the bat, I just start getting in the phone book and start calling uh, comedy clubs and any place with a microphone and stage and start getting on stage. But I, I tell you, from probably sixth grade on, 
I'd all, I was like, I'm going to be a comedian. I'm going to be a comedian. I'm going to be a comedian. I always knew it. Was there somebody that you really looked up to at that time? Somebody's, somebody whose comedic stylings you uh, enjoyed enough to want to follow in their footsteps? I wouldn't say it was one person. It was like I watched everybody growing up. If there was any at the improv or the Tonight Show, if I was up that late and I saw stand-up, I just got really excited. And then um, when I was in high school, Def Comedy Jam came out. Mm-hmm. And I have, that's another style of comedy I had never seen where there was talking, there was back and forth with the audience and, and people standing up and running around. And I was like, oh, wow, I'd like to get that reaction. But, you know, growing up, it was like, I remember seeing Simbad's HBO specials and, and Tommy Davidson's and obviously Eddie Murphy was, his was in the theaters. And it was just like, God, I just, Sam Kennison, I couldn't get enough. It was, if it was on TV, I was watching it and getting excited when I saw it. Yeah, I was uh, very similar in that regard. As a matter of fact, gosh, this name has been popping into my head recently. I spoke with uh, Tony Woods last week, who's going to be here uh, doing some stand-up pretty soon as well. And he's a D.C. guy. And it's crazy to think about the amount of talent that's come out of that D.C. area. But that got me thinking about Martin Lawrence and how there was a moment in time, I want to say it was like 93 or 94, where he was not only a movie star, he was as funny as it got in terms of somebody performing stand-up on stage, too. Unreal. I mean, God, him hosting Def Jam is some of the most classic moments in stand-up comedy history. Yep. (laughs) Just the stuff he was saying. Because you know what it was? He was the first to, like, really go in on – he'd see a rapper in the audience or an athlete in the audience and just go in on him, like, (laughs) gloves off. And I was like, oh, my God. Because he said that. And it was good because you would see, like, Ice-T or Ice Cube or I remember at the time Derek Coleman – Dominique Wilkins, they were all just laughing in the audience, Deion Sanders, and they were all there just cutting up. And I go, oh, it ain't that serious. Yeah, man, that's crazy. So uh, who's the hardest person you've ever had to follow? Follow? Oh, my gosh. Hmm. Uh, probably Chappelle. Jeez. Probably Chappelle. What, like at the comedy store or something? Uh, yeah. It was probably at the improv one night uh, down there on Melrose. We were all coming up. This was probably the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, Cat was always a hard one to follow when we were all coming up. Yep. Um, yeah, Cat and Cat uh, and Dave were, you know, because you think about Dave, man, he kind of sucks you into his world a little bit. And this was even before people knew who he was like that. But he kind of brings in his world and his, the way he talks, his, his cadence, and his very uh, – quirky and it's it's different um so and craig i tell you who was tough was craig robinson you know craig robinson is yeah he's uh he's done the office and hot tub time machine and a bunch of other stuff he's actually done stand-up here in the last couple years too oh really yeah so he he plays the keyboard he used to have a closing bit that would bring the freaking house down Hmm. and whenever you saw you was going after him like god dang it <laughs> the crowd's gonna be in hysterics, and I gotta be like, "Hey, what's going on?" <laughs> oh, that's what do you mean by uh, Chappelle pulling you into his world? I, I know you mentioned the cadence and whatnot, and that's uh, definitely a DC dialect. I mean, do you do you literally start trying to imitate what it is Chappelle is doing because he's just so GD funny? No, no, no. I, what I mean is like the audience when he's oh, on okay. stage. 
you know, the, his top, the topics he's talking about, and it can get kind of serious, but then it's like almost a wink, like, oh, you thought it was about to get serious? No, 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 I'm going a different direction. Hmm. And so, you know, it's just, uh, he's just having the fun and you do it, and it makes you better as a comedian back in the day, but, you know, I'd say, yeah, Kat, Kat was a ball full of energy, and Dave and Craig, and then you know who was really hard was, uh, guy named pablo francisco oh yeah i've seen him recently uh back at it too and i love to see that because he was one of my favorites back in the late 90s and early 2000s oh i've seen that guy go up in front of some heavy hitters and i was like uh, i feel bad for you because i knew what was coming pablo man late 90s man Woo, that guy was tough to follow have you seen his act recently i haven't i have not so is L.A. home for you then still? No, I live in Houston. You live in H-Town now? Yeah. Yeah, I moved here about a year ago. Okay, so do you ever uh, you ever do shows with Ali Sadiq? Uh, no, it's weird. You know, I live here. I do the improv or I'll do a theater in Houston, but I don't really um, hit the scenes like that. I see Ali. In fact, he's coming on my podcast next week. That's funny. Um. But I, I see him, you know, periodically. Not, not any more or less than I did before I lived here. Gotcha. Why'd you move to H-Town? Uh, I got a divorce, and I wanted to be in a state with no state taxes. <laughs> <laughs> Good reason. <laughs> he is stand-up comedian Gary Owen, performing at Cap City Comedy Club this weekend. Two shows Friday, two shows Saturday, a show on Sunday. Snag tickets, and for more info, go to CapCityComedy.com. Coming up more with Gary on the other side. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Back with the very funny Gary Owen. He is performing stand-up at Cap City Comedy Club this weekend. Two shows on Friday, two shows on Saturday, and a show on Sunday. For info and tickets, go to CapCityComedy.com. Perhaps a bar- embarrassing admission here, but I don't recall you coming to Austin all that often. Have you performed here uh, enough would... in the last, uh, what, almost 30 years now to get a good feel for uh, what the Austin comedy scene is like? And if so, what are your impressions of this place? Uh, I did the Moody Center in November. And then before that, um, I've done Cap City once, and that was like, it was right before COVID hit. Huh. So it was like end of 2019. Yeah. I, I did Cap City the last time I did it. And then... Uh, I've done other little theaters there, here and there. I can't really say, but usually, um, yeah, I make it, yeah. I've done, it's all my second time at Cap City, but, um, yeah, Austin's always been good to me. They laugh at everything. That's good to hear. I love Look, Austin crowd. I know, I know you went to the old Cap City, and I'm glad to hear that, because that club, that club was a classic, but it was also... It was a weird club, too, in a lot of ways. It was kind of in a no-man's land in this town, and uh, that. You know, they did their best in that space, but it was also in a weird space, too. Like, the Helium people have come in and done a top-notch job in terms of locating the club. It's in the Domain, which is like a second downtown for Austin. And the club itself is beautiful. It's got a little bit of a stadium seating feel. 
They've insulated it well to where the laughs do reverberate, but they're not echoing too much. Like, I think you're in for a real treat this weekend at the New Cap City. And you know what? I didn't even know it was a new club. I didn't even know it moved. Yeah, you're uh, you're you're in for a treat, man, because it is a, a lot nicer than the first time around. Now, you said that you performed at the Moody Center. Are you talking about the new arena? Yeah, yeah, the arena back November. I never I never get it was November 26 because it was my son's birthday. Oh, interesting. So, were you a part of a uh, group, or was it you headlining that show? I headlined, but it was it was one of those ensemble things. There was like three of us on the show, three or four. I've only seen basketball um, there. What did you think about uh, performing in that venue as a stand-up? Oh, it's cool. It was cool. The it's um it's set up for concerts. The sound was good. Okay. Because sometimes you get in those big arenas, and it's just there's echo and you know obviously theaters are to me theaters are the best. But um, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. So you like theaters the best? Like if you were to rank. Like 200-seat club, 1,000-seat theater, and then 10,000-seat arena. You would go theater, club, arena? For sure. Now, if you get me arenas, I mean, just sell a lot of tickets. Yeah. So, that's <laughs> always good. But, yeah, theaters for sure are the best. The ones designed for stage productions, always the best. So, uh, what are some of the topics that you're having fun with in your with your current set right now, Gary? Uh, definitely my divorce. Uh, you know, it's good to know I'm not the only one out there that's gone through it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and what I've learned from it and uh, how not to what, – what really it's very heavy on what men need out of relationships. So uh, I can't help but to think about the old Chappelle bit from Killing Him Softly where the women have, women have all these emotional needs and guys just need a sandwich and not talking too much. But our needs go beyond that, too, if we're really being honest about things. Yeah. yeah, It's a little deeper than that. But not, honestly, not much. Men are, men, are, men are simple creatures. We need a few things, but they're important that those needs get filled. I'll put it that way. From the jump, have you used, a, have you used stand-up in a sort of therapeutic sense like this, like even going back to 1997? Oh yeah, it's it's the best therapy you can have is is, is being a stand-up. Yeah, because you can kind of you can channel your emotions on stage and and you're not breaking down necessarily, but you know it's uh it's good. And then you're getting you're getting positive feedback from people because you know I went through a messy divorce where it's on TMZ, it's on People, um, it's on Google, AOL, it's on all these front pages there for about a week. We was top news. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm I'm a void of process server. I'm locked away in a hotel. I can't really go anywhere. So I'm left to my phone and my laptop. And I'm reading, you know, all these things on the Internet. I'm going, whoa, 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 that's not true. That didn't happen. And then you get back on stage and you realize, oh, people really don't care. Those people paying to see you, they don't really care about all that. They just want They just want some funny stuff coming out of your mouth. That has to be such a bizarre situation to find yourself in, to be going through something that is extremely private, but it essentially not even becoming public record because as you just said, there's stuff that's being reported that's completely inaccurate, but you have no control over 
what's true or false or what people want to believe. So at the end of the day, I guess it is re- really reassuring that uh, that some folks see through the BS and still still love to come see you because of the entertainment value you've been providing them for years and years. Well, I think I think what I learned through all this is the people that are just going to believe one side of a story and then say, hey, I'm not supporting you anymore, da, 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 or you're the worst human being on the planet. Uh, I don't think those people are ever going to come see me anyways. <laughs> I, that's how I look at it, like, oh, you're not going to pay to see me, so I don't really worry about your opinion. Now, if you come to see me and you paid money, you came to a live show, then, yeah, your your opinion to me holds weight because, you know, you, uh, you've taken time out of your day and you've taken money out of your pocket to come see me. So, yeah, I do value your opinion, and I do want you to come back to see me. But if you're on the Internet and you've never seen me live, and you're just going off something you read. I'm like, oh, you were never going to come see me anyway. So I don't, I don't really, I don't really care what you think, honestly. That's uh, that's what I've gotten the most out of this whole process. Yeah, society has a really big po- problem with that now, right now, Gary. It's either reading only one story to formulate a very hardened opinion versus trying to look at all sides of a given issue. Or sometimes it gets even worse than that. You have a bunch of experts who are experts based on headlines or 280 character tweets that they've read and all of a sudden uh, not only do they know more than you but if you disagree with them f you you're some label that they're going to slap on you really quickly yeah that part and you know that says more about that person than you complete Um, yeah i agree those are the same people who are typically trying to cancel stand-up comedians for exactly doing what it is that they do, which is to mock either an issue or both extremes of a given issue. Yeah, and that's why I said those people—they're not going to comedy clubs or theaters, anyways. So um, there's an opinion that holds no value to me at all. Now, if you come to my show and you send me a message about maybe something you didn't like or something, I'll, I will have an interaction with you. Hmm. I'm not one that's going to disregard your opinion. I'm be like, oh, okay, well, what was the problem? And I'm not just, I'm not going to attack you because you have an opinion. I want to know why you feel that way. And you, normally, people are shocked. I'll get back to them. And normally it ends with, uh, well, you know I'm always going to support you regardless. It usually ends with that. Hmm. So... Yeah, civil discourse is a lost art. That's why it's important that those of us who are capable of it and able to maintain a level of calm, even if a conversation gets heated, that we try to engage in that a little bit more. I think that's how we get more people back into the center versus being pushed into the fringes by the corporate press. I'm curious, though, because you are willing to have dialogue with somebody who maybe disagrees with something that you brought up on stage is there a subject that comes to mind that you've changed your angle on in terms of like how you're trying to attack it on stage based on one of those interactions? Um, trying to think, you know, obviously when you bring up, um, special needs, that's a, that's a, a lightning rod. It seems like, Mm -hmm. and I had a, I had a very, I had a bit cause I got a, I got, a couple of special needs cousins 
and I was talking about him on stage. Um, and I had, you know, a couple people don't don't like that. And we had a good, uh, productive back and forth. And I think what it is is what I've come to the conclusion is majority of, and it's usually parents that have special needs kids, if they get upset if you bring that topic up, I think it's more like what I've come to see think is they, they want to be angry, but they don't know who to be angry at. Hmm. So they don't know, like, if they live their life completely correct. And, you know, it's almost like, why did, not, not that they love the kids any less, but why did this happen to me? And I, I sympathize because it has to be stressful if you have a kid that needs taken care of their whole life. So when you pass away, pass away they're not going to be independent. They're still going to need help. And so I, I empathize with that. So I, um, I think I changed a little bit when I was talking about my cousin and, 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 and that aspect, once I had a good back and forth with a couple of the parents. Well, that's great to hear. And it, uh, I think shows uh, a depth of character that is definitely on display whenever somebody gets a chance to watch your stand up. And hopefully for those listening right now, if you are free, unfortunately, by the time this, uh, this conversation airs tonight, Gary will have already done his Thursday show, but you have five other opportunities, two shows on Friday, two shows on Saturday, a show on Sunday, seven o'clock shows all three days, 10 o'clock shows on Friday and Saturday in that big, beautiful main room at Cap City Comedy Club in the Domain. Gary Owen is going to be there. You need to go to capcitycomedy.com for info and to snag some tickets right now. And uh, Gary, thank you so much for the time today, man. This has been a really enlightening conversation. I appreciate it, man. You know a lot. You know a lot about stand up. I'll put it that way. I appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up, and where are we at in society? Wimbledon has a fornication problem. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Final segment of tonight's show means it's time for. Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your nightly look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will give you a story that provides a sense of optimism that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are getting it right. All is not lost. The robots will not win that eventual war between man and machine. But tonight is not that night. And we start in England. For tonight's Where Are We At, where apparently Wimbledon has a fornication problem. That's right. Tournament officials at Wimbledon, which of course is going on right now, are begging couples to stop having sex in the, quote, quiet rooms during the tournament. Now, what are quiet rooms well quiet rooms are two booths boasting armchairs fold away tables and vacant slash engage signs on the doors behind court 12 as a quote inclusive space where spectators could escape the stress of watching the action ah yes the quiet room which I believe have been a part of college campuses, way too many college campuses for the last several years now. Just a complete embarrassment to society. 
that somebody would need to step into a quiet room to escape the noise of a sporting event that you knew you were coming to to begin with? I mean, what are we doing here, folks? Well, I'll tell you what most people who are exploiting these quiet rooms are doing. They are having sex. That's right. This has completely backfired. It's something that was put in place last year, and ever since, they've had an issue with couples going in there to supposedly get a break from the crowds at Wimbledon, and oh, they're getting a break all right, breaking off a piece of something if you catch my drift. If you don't catch my drift, well, you are pretty aloof. And I'm guessing there's some pretty gnarly cleanup afterwards that the couples, which by the way, if you're going to go into the quiet room and do that, just make sure you're leaving things in proper order afterwards. This is a bit of that common area situation for a roommate setup where if you are going to make a bit of a mess in the common area, clean up clean up after yourself, please. But we know how most people are. Most people don't clean up after themselves. And yeah, you're not going to clean up after yourself if there's, I don't know, all sorts of random bodily fluids all over the armchair and trade table and whatever else is going on in this quiet room. People are just letting it be. They're flipping that sign back to unvacant and walking out of there hair disheveled and all well unfortunately those who have chosen to use the quiet rooms for some love love have caused Wimbledon decision makers to shut the cabins down temporarily they've been removed altogether Oh, excuse me, they haven't been removed altogether. They've been moved to a new permanent location. Near the used balls sales hut? Come on. This article can't be serious. From All Lawn Tennis Club Chief Executive Officer Sally Bolton. She said the room was bigger than last year and a, quote, really important space, but she warned fans that security officials would ensure it was being used for the right purposes, such as breastfeeding or prayers. Quote, the quiet room is returning this year, and we've actually built it under the stand of Court 12. So I think it might be slightly larger than it was last year if I got my dimensions correct. Joking aside, it's a really important space, and so we will be retaining it, and we'll be making sure that people are using it the right way. So if people need space to go to pray... It's a quiet space to go do that. All right, I said it was a way to escape the crowd noise, which it kind of is also. They can breastfeed if they want to, according to this woman. So it's a quiet space for various different purposes, but we're looking for it to be used the right way. Well, how dare you discriminate from people who need a little bit of nookie in the middle of a day of watching tennis? Quiet rooms did become the talk of last year's championships as well, with one eyewitness relating that this couple disappeared inside, locked the door, and they were gone for ages. I had time to finish two PIMs while they were in there. The sign on the door said, engaged. Look, if you you create a stupid setup, you're going to have people exploiting the new you-know-what out of it. And even if you think it is a valid thing to have at a tennis tournament, maybe it is. I know I'm having fun right now. You also have to understand what's going to happen. And in this case, it's people having sex in the quiet room. Moving on now to 
right here in the great state of Texas, where a DoorDash delivery driver went viral sometime in the last week. I saw this video. I want to say it was three or four days ago, but I'm usually late to these things, where he was delivering what looks like pizza to this woman who is waiting at the front door of her house. By the way, there is a ring door camera that is recording this entire interaction. Well, he walks up to the house, and this actually happened on the evening of June 30th. In a clip posted to TikTok, the guy delivers the pizza, turns back and says, I just want to say, it's a nice house for a $5 tip. The woman, who should be a little bit surprised by such lip, said, you're welcome. And then the delivery driver decides to double down, turns around one more time and says, F you, except he uses the actual word. Well, so there's a couple questions that you have to ask here before gauging which person might've been in the wrong. Because if this is a, I don't know, even a $50 order, then a $5 tip is kind of Bush League. $100 order, it's completely unacceptable. And screw you, you cheap bastard. It's tipping $5 on 100 But that's not the case here. The woman who posted the video to Tip Top asked the question, how much should I be tipping for a $20 pie? That's right, the pizza was $20. And she tipped 5 For you non-math majors out there, that's a 25% tip, which I think has become the tipping standard. I know some people still go 20. Some of you cheap bastards go 15, even on good service. But 25% is the low bar at this point, in my opinion. Factoring in inflation and the fact that these poor people are having to serve you food. And if they do a decent job, 25%, come on. Understand that you're eating out and that is part of the cost. But for this guy to show that much disdain for her, despite receiving a 25% tip, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt in saying that maybe he's having a bad night or maybe he had a bad interaction with his previous customer. But you got to do better than that, dude. Like, if you're really not that thankful, just don't say thanks. Just turn around and walk away. You don't need to chirp at her for it because you look like a damn fool here. And as a matter of fact... You're a damn fool who's looking for a new job. That's because DoorDash has weighed in on the man identified as Dasher Corey by firing him in their official statements. Respectfully asking for a tip is acceptable, but abusing or harassing someone is never acceptable. We've removed this Dasher from our platform and reached out to the customer. Was it worth it, guy? Was it worth it? The answer is no, you dumbass. Look, if you want to go scorched earth on your job on the way out, you don't do it on a customer who's being decent to you. Take it from somebody who has gone this route in the past. You try and take it out on, I don't know, the place that employs you, but even then... There better be some pretty damn 
good evidence for what you're doing versus your just your general disgruntlement and unhappiness with your own life. Again, I feel like this guy was just having a really bad day and unfortunately it snowballed on him, but I'm not excusing him. It's completely his fault and he deserved to be fired. By the way, have you noticed how restaurants are being staffed by people who have no business waiting tables? And I say this with all due respect because there are still some people out there who are cut out for that job, but it is a difficult gig. I tried waiting tables for, I want to say a week or two at Grady's American Grill in the DFW area, and I was awful. I was hitting up the tables entirely too much to see if they needed more beverages or needed anything else. I needed to just let them be, let them enjoy their meal. There is a dance to that job that allows some to be really good at it and some to be atrocious at it. But I feel like, thanks to COVID, restaurants, not just with the service staff, by the way, I think this also applies to the kitchen too, they don't have enough capable people to do the jobs necessary to run the business in its entirety. Like, you almost have to shut down a wing of the restaurant just to make sure that everybody is receiving proper service. And unfortunately, we have an example from DoorDash now that proves as much. That is it for tonight's show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow at 10. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the night and sweet dreams. It's the Night Talker with Trey Ellings.